Parshas told us shifts the narrative from Avram Avinu to Yitzchak Avinu. And in the beginning of the Parsha, they have twins. Yitzchak and Rivka have twins, Yaakov and Esav. And the Pasuk says something very interesting. In Perachav Hei, Pasuk Chav Yitzchak as Esav, Kitzayid Bepiv, Verivka Oheves as Yaakov. So Yitzchak loved Esav because he was a Tzayid Bepiv, which we'll discuss in a second, because he was an excellent hunter of venison, whatever it was. And Rivka loved Yaakov. Okay, now... The theme of the Parsha, at least at the very beginning, is the quest for the brachos, right? For the Bechor, Yaakov and Esav have an interaction. Esav is the Bechor, he sells it to Yaakov, and then it's just a quest of who can get it. Now, a superficial reading of the Parsha would suggest, and especially based on the Pasuk we just read, that Yitzchak and Rivka each had personal reasons for favoring one of their children over the other. And that there was a communication problem in their home. After studying some of the different commentaries, I think we can safely say that that's not the case. So let's view this question from both Yitzchak and Rivka's perspective and try to gain some clarity as to what was really going on in this household. So on the one hand, we have Yitzchak. Now, we have to question Yitzchak and wonder what exactly he was thinking by aligning with Esav. What was his Havamina? It seems strange that he would prioritize Esav being a hunter over what the Pesukim tell us about Yaakov, that he was an Ish Tam Yoshev Oalim. He was someone that stayed in the tent and learned Torah, continuing the Mesorah of Avraham and Yitzchak. Why was it that Yitzchak was drawn to Esav? So the Radak explains that Yitzchak was very aware. He was acutely aware of Esav's midos, of his character traits. His evil behavior and rebellious antagonistic attitude, that didn't escape Yitzchak's attention. He knew exactly who his son was. And indeed, he sincerely hoped that by giving Esav the bracha, that would inspire him to repent in some ways. Rav Gedal Yashor in Or Gedal Yahu explains that the phrase kitzayed bapiv means more than just the literal translation. Yitzchak wasn't impressed by a piece of meat that his son was able to uh, hunt. The Midrash explains that Esav fooled Yitzchak with his mouth. He was a tzayid b'fiv. He, tra- he, he trapped him with his mouth by asking profound questions pertaining to various halachic matters. Darizal asserts that Esav did have within him sparks of kedusha, of holiness. These sparks emanated through his mouth. They were reflected by the questions that he asked. He demonstrated to Yitzchak that he still possessed some hope for spiritual development. And Yitzchak loved him for this attribute. Even with all of the riches, all of the wickedness, Yitzchak saw the potential in his oldest son. And so he tried to help Esav overcome his impediments by offering him the bracha. The Ramban in Parshas Ekev talks about this very idea. He writes that every bracha found in the Torah is really an expression of support for the person being blessed. A bracha offers a person the determination that will enhance their ability to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu to their highest potential. Esav was in dire need of such a bracha, since his nature and personality were counterproductive to the ideals that his father expected him to develop. Yaakov, on the other hand, he was an ishtam. He was a complete person whose life of virtue and determination created the perfect circumstance for spiritual growth. One who is not compelled to challenge evil does not need that bracha. He only needs encouragement. One whose essence is evil 
must have that bracha in order to overcome his challenge. This was Yitzchak's approach to which of his sons he should give the bracha to. And we see a similar idea talked about in the Nesiva Shalom. He writes that people's nature is to like other people who are like them. The concept of min bimino. We have it in Kashrus a lot. Min bimino of tam, of, trans, of taste transfer, foods that are alike. And he writes that people that are like them and share similar qualities, that's who they're attracted to. And since Yitzchak's mida was gvura, strength, he saw so much of that strength in Esav. Now, obviously, these were different types of strength, but Yitzchak felt that they were just two different mahalchen, two different ways of serving Hashem. And therefore, he specifically wanted to give the bracha to Esav because he was a worldly and physical man. He could balance the bracha with his everyday activities and elevate them in service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It wasn't that he didn't like Yaakov or anything. It was that Yaakov's main trait was a Yoshev Oalim and therefore would have no needs for such a bracha. Now, while all this makes logical sense, Rivka clearly had a different outlook on the situation. Why did Rivka see this entirely different to a point where she had to step in and help Yaakov pull this whole thing off? What were we seeing from Rivka's perspective? So in this matter, Rav Shor, the Orgadal Yaw, explains that it's based on how Rivka grew up. Rivka grew up with Lavan. She saw firsthand how someone with such great potential could stray and use those skills for evil. Therefore, she was more sensitive to the real nature of Esav. True, as the Arizal said, he had sparks of Kedusha, which came from his mouth, which came from the way that he spoke sometimes, but they were only superficial, and they had no impact whatsoever on his character. In fact, Esav's most notable sign of tumma, of impurity, as Rashi tells us, was his desire to demonstrate his virtue, was to pretend like he was holier than he was. When Rivka saw that Esav had no desire for spiritual development, when she noticed him ridiculing everything Yitzchak represented, living a life antithetical to the values of Avram Avinu, she determined that this child was not entitled to the brachos. Only Yaakov, who she felt would take these brachos seriously and apply them to a life of Torah and mitzvos, should be the recipient. The Rav explained something very similar, that Rivka knew that if Esav were to receive the bracha, Yaakov would have no future. Yaakov was an Ishtam Yoshev Olim. He loved studying in the tent, in the base medrash of Shem Ve'ever. But the day would come where he would be forced to leave the walls of the base medrash and join the world. And therefore, Rivka urges Yaakov, Leich Na'es Hatzon, go now to the flock, learn how to go into the field and bring back food to prepare so that you can receive the bracha. According to the Rav, Rivka was teaching her son, that the quote-unquote field does not have to be a place of impurity that needs to be avoided by hiding in a tent. She believed that Yaakov could elevate the world outside of his tent and transform the mundane into something holy, infused with Kedusha, infused with godliness. And interestingly, even though Esav was a skilled hunter and he found so much success in the field, it was not a place that brought him peace of mind. Earlier in the Parsha, we see that Esav returns from the field exhausted, he was faint of energy. He was tired. On the one hand, he enjoys the success of his conquest. But as the Rav writes, quote, This hunter is beaten by his own conquest. He is faint, spiritually worn out, and cut off from his existential, metaphysical roots. Without a spiritual framework, without being dedicated to a legacy that he felt strongly, that he, it was his job to perpetuate, 
Esav had a gaping hole in his being, in his essence. What we see is the commonality between Yitzchak and Rivka's point of view is the need in life for balance. Both felt that the bracha would provide balance for whoever received it and deemed it necessary for their development. Yitzchak looked at his son Esav and said he needs this bracha. Rivka looked at her son Yaakov and said he needs this bracha. They both were coming from a great place, but their issue was that they were not able to effectively communicate that to their partner. They never had that conversation. When communication breaks down, it becomes impossible to explain your point of view. It's no wonder that everyone in this story seems to be on a different page. And it's hard to feel like had the lines of communication been open, had Yitzchak and Rivka been able to effectively explain their point of view to each other, and perhaps even bring Yaakov and Esav into the conversation, so much pain and anguish could have been avoided. Amir Tzashem, we should take this lesson and so many others from the Parsha and realize the value of maintaining balance in our lives. Realize the value of properly communicating with our loved ones. That when we see things a certain way, make sure we're open to hearing somebody else's perspective. Being willing to accept a different point of view. The more closed off we are to other perspectives and the more we assume that we are correct, the more vulnerable we are to the pitfalls of this week's Parsha. Everybody have a fantastic Shabbos.